This is Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruits, you need the root. We have reached the final episode of season four of the Millennial Money Mindset podcast. Thank you so much for joining and for listening. This episode marks the 50th episode of this podcast, which is a huge achievement. So thank you for listening and thank you to all our guests in the four seasons of the podcast. So you guys really make the show. This episode coming up is jam-packed with value, so stay right to the end. We're joined for the second time with Pete Matthew. He is the YouTuber and podcaster of Meaningful Money, which has been downloaded over 5 million times, which is insane. And he's also the author of the book, uh, Meaningful Money. So if you've gotten value from this episode or any of the other episodes of the previous four seasons, then check out my book, Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruits, you need the roots. It's a five-step method to getting money mindset. We also do a learning experience, which includes an online course, a card game, and a workbook. And we are launching um, the Millennial Money Mindset Fire Club, where we have monthly meetups with like-minded people in a supportive environment to help you on your journey to financial independence. I also offer one-to-one money coaching. So if you want more money in your pocket, more time in your day, and more joy in your life, then check check us out. We're on social media. My name's Neil Doig, or my company's called Money Tips. We're on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. Or like and subscribe to this podcast for more seasons. And without further ado, here is the rest of the show. Enjoy. Money. Mindset. I think that sounds all right. Just talking about sort of financial mistakes. Uh, I mean, this for me was a real pivotal moment. And I'm amazed that my then fiance still agreed to marry me after this. We were going away for a weekend away with my brother and his wife, right? So they had paid for our room, if memory serves. We were staying at Airbnb and they stayed paid for the weekend. But obviously, we need to buy food and all that sort of stuff. And I was so bad at managing money before we got married, so bad at it. Basically, we're driving to Brecon from Cardiff, where we lived at the time. It's not a long journey, but I had to admit on the way that I had basically zero pounds to contribute to this thing. I was at rock bottom and wanted you to be paid until the following week. So, you know, I didn't have overdraft or whatever. And it was just, and I have to admit, I mean, I remember just weeping, admitting this thing. It was a real shameful moment for me. Joe pulling over. And so she said, so am I paying for everything this weekend then? And I can't pay back. And I'm so sorry and all that. But that was a definite sort of, this can never happen again. You know, I said that to myself and obviously she said it to me as well through clenched teeth. Bless her. She went ahead and married me. We've been married 25 years next year. And um, she taught me a great deal about financial management. But I think most of us can look back on our lives at various sort of points in time. It might be lessons we learned from our parents or didn't learn from our parents, mistakes we watched them make or mistakes that we've made ourselves where we've got ourselves into financial hot water. And I think it's important to sort of keep those in mind sometimes, not beat ourselves up over them, but just, you know, remember those lessons and make sure they're reinforced. That was a powerful one for me. Yeah, no, it's really, thanks for your honesty. I I remember this just came to mind. I was actually in Australia. I did the kind of classic kind of backpacking thing after Australia, but uh, after university, I went to Australia and I, spent all my money in sydney and went to i I couldn't so i couldn't go home right now i've kind of just just kind of been there for three months but kind of living life in this big city 
And I went to a, I had to, got a job picking fruit, believe it or not. And I remember at the moment, like looking down at my hand, it was like, I think I had like $7 to my name. I was like, I can't like have the shame of getting, I had a return ticket and going home after three months. I was meant to be there for a year. I ended up staying a year, but I remember this kind of shameful moment where looking down at, this is all I had to, to my name. Yep. And it kind of like, yeah, I yeah, need I mean, to I, fix this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it kind of gave me a pick up the bum to kind of actually think, um, yeah, it's, it kind of these, these things can spur you on. It can kind of mm-hmm. either, uh, stop you in your tracks or it can actually give you kind of the fire in your belly to kind of go yeah. on. And do, right. do what you, so you said you work with clients and yeah, what kind of mistakes do you see people making? Do you see kind of people making constant mistakes over and over again, or what should people do differently? Imagine the listener at home thinking, Pete, what one thing, if I could change, what, what would you say to these, to the listener? Yeah, the biggest mistake by far, clients tend not to make it because they're paying us to not make these mistakes for them. But I tend to, obviously, I've got a big audience and you know I, I hear a lot from them. And the biggest mistake by far is um, tinkering, particularly with their investments. Yeah. Feeling like they need to do something. Whereas yeah. really the mantra should be, don't just do something, stand there. Right. Do yeah. nothing. Do nothing in the vast majority of cases, particularly when markets are volatile. Yeah. So, you know, you open up your Argus Lansdowne app or whatever it is that you've got your ISA or your pension with, and you see that it's down 15% because, you know, something's going on with markets and it's tanking. The immediate assumption is a sort of fight or flight reflex is like, I need to do something to make this situation better. Yeah. So that might be, okay, I'm going to bail out into cash while everything settles down. I'm going to sell my investments, keep the money in cash just while everything settles down and then I'll reinvest. I mean, that is usually catastrophic for your long-term wealth future yeah. because you will always go back in too late. You'll crystallize the losses you've already made and you'll always go back in too late because you'll never know when to go back in. Back in March, 2009, I've been doing this long enough. So this was at the back end of the financial crisis. Markets were down 40% and there were still newspaper headlines and news stories saying the market will fall a further 50% from here. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, it's hard then, you're 40% down already, it's really hard not to say, man, I'm like, you know, this far and no further, I can't take this anymore, I'm just yeah. going to bail out. Yeah. But turns out, instead of falling another 50%, March 2009 was the bottom. Yeah. And those that stayed invested would have been up probably 20% you know, from that point by the end of the year. And if you stayed invested for a few more years, you would have easily recouped your losses and then some and would be over double your money from now right so the biggest mistake by far is tinkering feeling like you need to do something with your investments when the best certainly for lay people um but i'd argue anybody the best thing you can do is nothing at all just stick to your guns and stop looking at the value of your investment it's just gonna lead to anxiety so do yourself a favor and stop checking in yeah no 100 i think one of the reasons the the title of my book if you want millennial money mindset if you want the fruits you need the roots i think of it like a growing a tree it's anything of value takes time to grow and it's like that those root systems it looks like it's doing nothing but actually it's growing and it is it's like investing is like growing a tree it is take it takes time and it takes yeah it takes takes a long time before you actually get anything back but it's it's difficult it's it's having the discipline to not touch anything and I, i was speaking to a friend of mine he's a financial advisor and he was saying like he he he's almost his worst enemy he 
although he, I'm not sure he doesn't do it with his clients, but he tinkers with his portfolio all the time. And I'm like, it's easy for you to say, just leave it, just leave it. Don't muck about with it. And I think it's definitely, I've talked a lot about this on the podcast before. It's understanding the difference between investing and the difference between trading. And it's two very different things. It's yeah. investing is a long term. I'm sure you know all about this, but I'm saying for the listeners at home, it's more about, yeah, understanding the difference between trading and trading and investing. And they're very different. Yeah. If you want to play around, have a, a pot of money that you trade with and you yeah, totally. stick around with it. And then your investing is for the long term. And you yeah, don't, don't bet the farm on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And I think you need to pre-think a lot of your decisions, uh, which is not easy for us to do, yeah. but you need to say, um, um, it's sort of basic behavioral finance, really. Um, you know, while things are good, take the time to do a thought experiment and say, okay, how would I feel if the next time I logged into my investment, it was 20% down? Yeah. And essentially pre-make the decisions and say, if that happens, I will do nothing. I'm yeah. committing now to do nothing in that case go even further say i'm committing not to look at the value of my investments until except for once a year yeah exactly. there's no exactly. reason at all to do it more often than that really i don't think yeah. so anyway if you want to just check then do it once a quarter but checking in every other day is only going to lead to anxiety and it's just no need to do it you know if you're investing for 40 years then why check it once a week it makes no sense at all so you know there's other things you can do uh you know to to make that less likely but I, I just think do your thinking in advance and set frameworks for how you will manage your money and decide in advance then you're not deciding in the heat of the moment that's really crucial you know if you're an alcoholic and you want to recover you don't keep temptation in the house you get rid of everything out of the house yeah and so you that's sort of building a framework to make your in the moment decision making easier and it's exactly the same with our finances yeah no 100 agree i I talk to my clients and I say, spend 90 minutes a year just on, on investing. It's, I, I use the analogy, I've got mm -hmm. a card game called Football Formation Asset Allocation. And I think <laughs> of it like um, building your portfolio around a, a football team. If you, um, if you score a goal, money goes into your pocket. If you concede a goal, money goes out of your pocket. If you live a good life, you live to 90 years old, like 90 minutes on the football pitch. And so many, so my friends were saying they they mess about with their portfolio and i'm just saying just spend 90 minutes a year on your portfolio and that's all you have to do mm -hmm. and so many of them saying i don't have the time to invest neil and i was like but you've just watched a boring 1-1 game on a wednesday on a rainy you know yeah you, and you say you haven't got a time that's, and spending 90 minutes watching a, a, a game yeah, netflix football, yeah. yeah netflix you, you don't have time to actually look at your portfolio and i would say just quickly just on the flip side as well there's there's that where people tinker around too much. And then it's the, the other side is where people don't look at anything at all. And they just kind of put their head in the sand and don't think about it at all. It's that's the kind of the two polars of the, the way I, yeah. I, when I speak to people, I agree. But um, what's your, yeah, any kind of aha moments? We kind of briefly touched on kind of things that mistakes, but I, I think I'm a big fan of kind of mindset and how people think and feel around money. And when I talk about kind of aha moments, I, I think of it like there's a moment you think, oh, that makes loads of sense now. You kind of see a different, like putting on a pair of glasses. You you didn't kind of see, everything wasn't kind of clear, but you put on a pair of glasses and you're like, oh, that now everything makes kind of sense or yeah. you can now see things that are much clearer than before. Yeah. Uh, either yourself or have you seen this in in your, uh, your clients where they've kind of had a realisation and think, oh, that makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, 
Yeah, I see it every day, and it's a function of the way we work with clients. So for me, that aha light bulb moment was in 2006 when I sat and passed a qualification called the CFP, Certified Financial Planner License. Mm, So the industry makes these acronyms ridiculously difficult to understand. But if you ask anybody pretty much globally in the developed world uh, what a CFP is, they will know, certainly in, in North America. Whereas in this country isn't so much because we tend to focus on chartered financial planner as being the sort of gold standard here. Certified financial planner, certainly at the time when I sat, it was the only qualification that really was a practical applied qualification, right? So it wasn't just about head knowledge, understanding the tax system. And it was about, you know, here is a fictional client, plan the most direct route to them for them to meet their goals. And it, that was a light bulb moment because it was like, do you know what? It, investing, I mean, I, I'm bored witless with investing. I could not care less about it, right? Which you probably yeah. gathered from earlier on. Because I think that's the easy bit for most people. And that time is far better spent on their planning. And that's what really brings people alive. And that's what I meant when I see it every day. So people very often will present to an advisor like me and they'll say, okay, I've just inherited half a million quid. What should I do with it? And they're like, we'll get to that. Tell me about your family. Tell me about work. What do you love to do? All that sort of stuff. And they're like, what are you asking me this for? And it's like, just bear with me, okay? <laughs> just go with it. Tell me, you know, what would a perfect day look like? If you didn't have to work, what would a day look like? What would you get up and do? Where would it be? Who would you be with? What's the weather doing? You know, what's a perfect day look like? And you start to sort of take this stuff uh, to them. Start to asking them, you know, if they die tomorrow, what would be their single biggest regret, right? Or if they knew they had five years left to live, what would they fix, right? All that sort of stuff. You ask them these questions and they start to actually get talking and thinking about what really matters. And then it's like, okay, now we have a framework for investing your half a million quid because the whole point of that half a million quid is to enable you to do that as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And so investing must always have a purpose. Now, planning is, most of us are planning towards some kind of retirement, whatever the definition of retirement is, right? You know, whether it's financial independence, um, whether it's actually stopping working, the old fashioned definition of retirement. But most of us have something in mind that either would enable us to do a career change, do more charity work, work because we want to, not because we need to, all those sorts of things. Um, People just define it in different ways. But My job as a financial planner is to light that torch in people and really get them excited about what the money makes possible. And then really, (laughs) the mechanism's easy. (laughs) Sometimes I'm amazed I have a job because actually it's that most people's financial needs are not that complex, right? Unless you're getting into the deca-millionaire space when, yes, it gets complicated with trusts and offshoring and all that sort of stuff. I don't really care about those people, to be honest. Um, You know, most people's needs are really quite simple, but most people don't take the time to really think through what's important to them. And that's part of my job to facilitate. So aha moment, planning is everything. Investing is a very small part of the mechanism to achieve your plans. Yeah, 100%. No, that's, that's really powerful. No, that's thanks for sharing. No, that, that's, so you, you ask questions like, what would be, what would you regret if you died tomorrow? So what would your regret be if you died yeah. tomorrow? This podcast is brought to you by the book Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruit, you need the roots. It's the five-step method to getting money mindset, getting more money into your pocket, more time in your day, and less stress in your life. Get your copy today. You can pick it up on Amazon, in print, Kindle, or Audible version. We also give away some free training with every book bought. 
which is automating your finances to get more me time so you have more time to do the things that you love with your with your day get your copy today so you, you ask questions like what would be what would you regret if you died tomorrow so what would your regret be if you died tomorrow uh that i didn't lose weight earlier and it's, it's, a, it's an eternal battle for me and it i it's funny, I quite often draw analogies between sorting out your financial life and sorting out your eating patterns. I mean, currently I'm sort of battling post-viral fatigue. So it's um I'm not able to exercise. Whereas 18 months ago I was in the gym, you know, prior to lockdown, I was in the gym three mornings a week with a trainer and all that sort of stuff. And about two stone lighter than I am now. So it's a it's a I mean, it's an, a continual battle for me and will be to the day I die. But you know. It'd be quite nice to get back into a 34-inch waist before I die. That's the goal. Oh, <laughs> so, Jeremy, I, I, I try not to live with regret, but I'm sure, you, you know, I, we've, I've really focused on my kids as they've been growing up. They've been everything. Um, now that they are young adults, you know, Joe and I are really rekindling the amount of time that we spend just the two of us and doing stuff that we want to do when we're excited about our time, you know, our, what, this next phase in our life as we move towards an empty nest so that's pretty cool as well you know so i just want to live very much in the present yes plan and build wealth for the future of course but but live very much in the present um so i don't think you, you know, i suppose i may regret not doing that more but that's just a question of degree so I, i'm i'm pretty happy oh, amazing i was going to come up with a really wise quote but there's there's a really good disney film and it says like the present is a there's a quote from a disney i can't remember what it is but essentially the present is a gift and that's why they call it a present and i think that's mm -hmm. it's all the all the people you depict it's kind of i can't remember what film it is it's kind of a disney film i think it's like some ancient sounds like it. what's that it sounds like it but it's true, <laughs> true nonetheless no i was going to come up with some kind of i know you like stoic philosophy but i thought yep. the disney quote was maybe better but what you say <laughs> there being in the present moment is really is really powerful and actually yeah enjoying the moment where it, we only have kind of one life and yeah, it's, yep. it's not a rehearsal. Yeah. I think Definitely. Um, and what you say about planning is super important as well. I think that's, um, yeah, that, that's really powerful. So 5 million listens, downloads, that's incredible. So, and you've done loads of se series. I like the series yeah. where you kind of pick a subject and you kind of pick those out. If anyone at home is, um, or listening wants to check those out, definitely check uh, Meaningful Money out. Um, with all, all the podcasts you've done. So do you have a favorite podcast episode, what you've recorded or favorite series or, yeah, that's really hard. Probably one of my all-time favorites will be an interview with JL Collins. Um, hey, so wow. I know. So um, my good mate, Andy Hart, okay. uh, uh, put me onto a book called The Simple Path to Wealth. Yeah. And he simply said to me, he said, that is the best personal finance book ever written. I was like, yeah. wow, okay, how have I not heard about this book? Better yeah. read it immediately. And I did, and I agree. I think it's outstanding. Yeah. And then I was raving on the podcast about this book. I said, this is amazing. And I had an email from a listener and says, I happen to know Jim Collins. Would you like me to put you on to him? I'm like, oh, wow. gosh, absolutely. So I interviewed Jim. He was the most gracious, wonderful, kind guy. It's one of my favorite interviews ever. I was a little bit awestruck, I have to say, but you know, he's just an ordinary guy who really understands wealth building. And he wrote the book because he tried to talk about it to his daughter and she wasn't interested at the time. Yeah. She is now, yeah. and I'm sure she's a very wealthy lady as a result of putting into action what, what he's done. So I just think it's the best book on, the best simple book on investing. It's very US focused. Yeah. So for UK readers, that's the only thing to be aware of. But um, 
you know, I did a video on sort of, you know, doing reading it for a, a UK perspective, but yeah. uh, I just think that was brilliant. But I'm actually I'm really excited about an episode which is coming out next week. So that might be out by the time this this conversation goes out. But um, and that's a conversation with uh, my friend and fellow financial planner, Shabaka Sam. Okay. So he's grown up in the Muslim tradition. I was raised in the Christian tradition. And we both have seen massive damage done around the subject of money when it's couched in terms of faith and religion. So it's not going to be for everybody that episode. I'm a little bit nervous about putting it out, but actually I think it'll be really helpful to a lot of people who have had some really bad financial lessons imposed on them by, you know, supposed religious authority figures. So I think it's going to be a really good episode and it was a lot of fun. Ah, amazing. I, I totally agree with you with um, the simple path to wealth. Actually, I think you recommended it. I don't, you, you probably don't remember it I, on, um, Instagram, I, I send messages. Oh, maybe I, I yeah. posted in one of your comments, and you, you recommended that one. I actually bought it, and I the first time I read it, I was like, "What is that? It is that is that what everyone's because everyone's been raving about." I love kind of picking up books that people talk about and raving about. Mm-hmm. I read okay. it, I was like, "Is that is that it? Is that yeah?" But, it's, but it is it. But but I'm but I totally I was totally I've now read it two or three times. I I, I love going back through the highlighter, and I agree, it's it's a brilliant book. I think it does exactly what it says on the tin, and it's it is written simply and. When I first was, re- when I was just about to read it, I thought there was going to be some kind of, I don't know, some kind of amazing insight, but it, it is brilliant. I think it's, it's simple. It does. Exactly it's simple. Exactly. Yeah. It's an amazing insight, but it's dead simple. Yeah. That's, that's almost, almost harder to do as a, as an author to write it simply than kind of, you know, it's, it's then writing it more complex. Yeah. yeah. Top tip, by the way, if you like highlighting books, yeah. Uh, if you read on Kindle, which I do almost all the time, you and you highlight books in there, check out something called readwise.io. Yeah. Okay. It's an absolutely incredible service. So it'll it'll basically sync to your Kindle and um group your highlights and then you can get a daily email with just sort of five or six of your highlights. It just brings them back to your attention. Um, I absolutely adore it. It's like five bucks a month and worth every single penny. It's completely oh, wow. transformed okay. the way I read. Yeah, okay. brilliant. So what other books would you recommend or what, what other books kind of blew your mind? I, I love kind of thinking about books that kind of changed my paradigm or changed my kind of thinking, aha, any, any kind of things that you that come to Gosh, mind? Now you're asking. Um, so what I ought to do, actually, if you bear with me one second, I'll just get my reading list up because that'll, oh, yeah, uh, okay. uh, that'll help me trigger some. I've got your uh, book here in why you're doing that. Uh, thanks. Very kind of you. Uh, Meaningful money handbook. Yeah. It's, it's really <laughs> good. I actually gave it to my dad funny enough. And yeah, he, he really liked it. He was, cause a lot of it's kind of this, this podcast is called millennial money mindset. A lot of the stuff talks about trust and a lot of kind of more complex things that I don't necessarily, unless you're in the millions, you don't necessarily need to set up a trust, et cetera. If you're kind of millennial, they, they oh, might yeah. be in that kind of that zone. But most um, people don't need a trust. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I tend to stay away from. That. I think of it like a treasure chest. It can be more complicated if you, you know, I don't know, like a, a box of stuff you throw in. But anyway, so, yeah, so, I mean, there's there's massive um, massive benefits in the right place, but there's always a sacrifice and a, a compromise when it comes to trust. Yeah. Um, there's three little books by a guy called Austin Cleon. Um, okay. One of which is called Show Your Work. Yeah. Um, so I picked up on those from Ali Abdal, who's one of my favorite YouTubers, and he. Uh, I mean, the, the premise of show your work really is, as the name suggests, to uh, document what you're doing. Yeah. And there's value in that to people. So I'm trying to do that more on Instagram and stuff like that. But really, you know, 
doing what I do, which is basically giving away all the quotes secrets about finance away for free on the podcast yeah. is showing my work and it's clearly beneficial for people. Yeah. You know, I often, well, not so much now, but early on, particularly advisors would ask me, you know, you know, you're not worried that people will stop paying you for advice. I was like, no, that's not how the internet works. You know, yeah. you give as much as you can away for free. Cause I mean, really how many clients do I need, you know, to earn a living? Um, and it turns out you give enough value uh, out for free for long enough. The universe looks after you and uh, it comes back to you in spades. So, um, so yeah, showing your work is really good. I mean, a world without email by Cal Newport. Very interesting. Oh, so I, mean, yeah. I got tons of stuff. I mean, I could go on rage about the books I read, but I, I write them all down. Yeah. One of the most powerful books I read recently is called Sophie's World. It's not a new book. It's from the 90s. It's basically a very interesting way of learning about the history of philosophy okay. through, a, through a story. Okay, uh, wow. it, one, it's one of those books that just go, wow, what kind of mind does it take to think of that and to put it in that way? Fascinating read um, by Jostein Gardner. Oh, that's great. World. Great. Yeah books there so yeah I, I really like i haven't read that um show your work he's done another one like still like an artist but that, yeah. that's another book that always comes up so i yeah. i was hovering i did go to amazon i was hovered over by i hadn't bought that yet but yeah sure, get all three I, of them that's definitely tipped me over I'll, I'll you read them in about it. 20 minutes they're really short yeah you know so you think actually i'm paying a lot of money really for not a lot of words but i'll tell you what yeah they're really really great and yeah. actually you did i think let me give you one more uh, which is the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Okay. So Naval, uh, that's N-A-V-A-L, Ravikant. Yeah. He, I mean, he's a polymath, investor, yeah. crypto genius. Yeah. But the Almanac, or sometimes called the Navalmanac, which yeah. is quite hard to say, is basically been compiled by somebody else out of his tweets and his podcast interviews and things like that. Yeah. I mean, the man is a, a genius and that, yeah. I dip into that all the time. Absolutely outstanding book for anybody just wanting to be a better version of themselves. It's a yeah. little bit like modern day stoicism. Yeah. Uh, and then anything by Ryan holiday. I could keep going, but I won't. Yeah, no, I like Ryan holiday. And the, the, the book you mentioned previously, I, I think he was on a podcast. I was watching it the other day with, um, uh, who's the is uh, a famous podcaster who's uh, Tim Ferriss the, the I really like Tim Ferriss but the bald guy with um he's into kind of martial arts stuff anyway I'll, I'll, oh okay yeah I, I know, yeah I can't think his name either but yeah. uh, Carl Newpoint the other one he, he wrote the book about um deep work deep work that's that's literally changed how I work that's yeah. that was a mind-blowing book me for me so yeah I'll definitely have to check that it was that's really good so yeah it's essentially deep work is about yeah focusing on what you're doing without distractions around the email. We're going to get yeah. caught up doing these kind of shallow tasks, answering emails, etc. Like it's like set a timer for an hour or something and focus on that yeah. work deeply. That was, that's for, literally changed. Um, yeah, yeah. How it works. That was really if, powerful. If anybody's got kids, um, his book, digital minimalism will mm. transform how you teach your kids how to use technology. Very, very powerful. We don't yet know the impact. Yeah. I mean, I've, my kids are 21 and 18. And I've seen the impact on their mental health from, uh, you know, the pressures of technology and, you know, always on social media and stuff. Um, There's fascinating study in that book, Digital Minimalism, about uh, university students in the US and how, you know, uh, campus counselors suddenly, I mean, there was a massive spike. It was like a shelf increase in mental health issues, suicides, you know, eating disorders, self-harming. Yeah. And it literally was like one year it was okay, the next year it wasn't. And they, they were, why on earth is this? This is such a weird statistical anomaly. And it stayed at that level since. 
And they basically brought it back to the fact that these kids were 13 round about when the iPhone came out. Wow. And smartphones became more prevalent, right? Yeah. And so through their high school years, suddenly, you know, uh, Facebook was a thing. And then, of course, Instagram and then more lastly, Snapchat and things like that. And uh, the correlation between decline in teenagers' mental health and the rise of these devices and services is, is just, I mean, it's, it's too big a correlation to ignore. So really important that you then teach your kids how to manage that, uh, which is something yeah. that uh, we've tried hard to do. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Cal Newport's a genius. Yeah, no, I'll check that one out. I think coming to also talking about technology, I think, and investing, I think when people were saying don't tinker with your investing earlier on, I think the access to apps and trading platforms today, it's made it so much easier to tinker with it. You can yeah. see the news and you think the stock market's down, then you can quickly go on your app and buy or sell in, in seconds. I, yeah. When I The first share I bought was lastminute.com. Kind of the irony of the name was lost on me at the time. And it was, a, I had to literally write a check to the broker, city broker. Imagine that and then post it, put, put it into yeah. a post. But I even had to call him up to, to know where to, on a kind of an old school kind of pay phone, put money in, which is kind of showing my age here. But um, is, that, to do that, you would actually stop this kind of, tinkering if you had to uh, yeah. ask with doing that would actually stop doing you know this the kind of the trading mindset compared to the kind of the investing mindset but yeah and yeah. you've got the rise of uh so-called financial influence as well many yeah. of whom are complete charlatans yeah but. it's interesting how yeah it's a difficult one to to manage but uh so that mm. leads on to the next question so if you could change one thing about the personal finance the world of personal finances in the uk what would that be so uh, if you can click your fingers and it would be you know that would happen yeah, I would make um, every 16 to 18 year old do at least half a term of personal finance. So in tertiary, so whether they're in you know apprenticeships, whether they're in vocational qualifications or whether they're doing A-levels. So between yeah. 16 and 18, I would want to see some kind of basic financial management lessons and but make it mandatory and make it something that they have to sit through to qualify, you know, to get a qualification. Um you know, I realize that not everybody learns that way and all that sort of stuff, but I think with imaginative curriculum and, you know, in six weeks, you can put a lot of good stuff into, into kids' minds. We tend to fall into two camps. Those of us that get really good lessons from our parents and those of us yeah. that don't. I didn't get any bad lessons from my parents, but I didn't get any lessons from my parents really in how to manage money. Yeah. Uh, they were pretty good at it, but they never passed any of it on to me. I'm the youngest child, so maybe they got bored by the time, <laughs> by the time they got to me. So, you know, I just think we need to put something into kids because we set them free into the world of work or higher education where they've got to manage a budget and student loans and all that sort of stuff. We set them free into that world with no preparation very often. Now, it's getting better. There is some movements towards something like a, uh, some element of personal finance in the curriculum, but yeah. it needs to go a lot, lot, lot further. And I'm not the person to write that curriculum. I wouldn't have a clue. But it needs to be done, um, and I just think it needs to be mandatory. It should be like a driving license. Yeah, I, Martin Lewis, I know, has got a book out, and he's giving that away to to school kids. I think it it, it comes yeah. down to what. Yeah, it's got to be correct. Though I think a lot of there's always biases in finance in everything. There's always biases in everything, and it's giving yeah. the right or if there is a right or wrong kind of information. It's it's it's. I mean, any information maybe is better than the other, but I guess it's there's definitely a danger of it being done badly. And I can yeah, imagine kind of credit card companies, which is kind of my bed bugbear kind of getting involved a visa, yeah. 
education and it's you know that's tell them in getting them into more and more debt which is not necessarily no it's not a good thing at all self-reliant yeah. actually getting into more debt but it's I mean, like I, McDonald's giving you kind of nutrition lessons. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that should be closely monitored and regulated, I think. But uh, I don't see it happening anytime soon, unfortunately. But I think if I could wave my wand and do one thing, that would probably be it. Uh, I mean, there's things about regulation that I would change as well. Yeah, I'd like to see products regulated as well as advice. Okay. Um, a sort of double-edged sword to regulate. Um, yeah, to regulation. So is it not already that FCA have regulated products? I know kind of the, the bigger products, I'm not going to name them now, but they, they're all uh, regulated by the FCA, aren't they? It's the, companies, it's the companies that sell them that are regulated. So I would, you know, I would like to see so that in order to bring a product to market, it has to pass some kind of regulation and that's not the case. Okay. Right. There, you know, there are still financial products that get around that you know i mean ultimately they're scams very often so i don't suppose you're ever going to stop that there'll always be criminal intent around but i would like to see heavy regulation of products okay um i mean potentially that could lead to a minefield of problems as well so i don't actually think the regulator is that effective i'm glad we've got it um but it's far too passive far too much shutting the door after the horse has already bolted yeah but you know i just think some even if it was like a kite mark, some kind of minimum standard that's like this is a solid product. Yeah, interesting. That would be good. I you think. know, that would that would I think do well. And so, talking about kind of regulation, what what's your opinion on the difference between financial advice, where you're giving specific advice to that person, and then money coaching, financial education, and then you you mentioned the kind of the influencers, if that's the name, <laughs> uh, if that's the who kind of coming in, because. The internet is amazing. We kind of talked about the benefit of technology. Mm. It's almost its worst enemy that anyone can pick up a camera and yeah. give information to people and it's not always right or wrong. But I also think I used to be a financial advisor. I moved away from that because it was so restrictive and it, I didn't feel comfortable charging tens of thousands of pounds if for something that someone could just pick up a book and read. It's, yeah, especially for This is a podcast called Millennial Money Mindset. I didn't think it was value for money for a, a millennial to go out, pay for financial advice just for putting money into an ISA. Ultimately, yeah, I agree. they Absolutely want to be right. financial independent. They, it's going to take them longer if they're paying 5% initial fees plus 1.9% ongoing fees, which is kind of crazy what I was yeah, I mean, And that's- uh, Those so, days are long gone, hopefully, but okay, it does but still that, happen. That's a company, they're, um, a financial, uh, F, they're a FTSE 100 company, one of the, the biggest companies out there. So they're, they're still around. But yeah, sorry. What tell me? Tell me more about that. So yeah, I, I mean, I spent 10, 11 years telling people that they don't need a financial advisor, right? So coming from exactly the same place as you, Neil, and but at the same time, the caveat to that, and that might seem weird, given that I am one and I've been for twenty odd years, you know, and that I own a financial planning firm. So you don't need financial advice because most people don't. It doesn't make any sense for a millennial to pay a financial advisor to tell them where to put their 20,000 pound ISA or their hundred pound a month ISA don't make any sense. Right. So I, I would say the difference between self-education and financial coaching, those two things really are about improving your own ability to navigate the financial system. Yeah. Financial advice is asking somebody else to do it for you. Yeah. Right. So I sit somewhere in the middle of those two. They're not entirely polarized. So I, the vast majority of people, when you're building wealth, to be honest, most people are never going to need anything more than a pension and an ISA. 
Yeah. They're never going to need anything more complex than a decent equity index tracker or a multi-asset tracker. So it's got some bonds in it as well, just to yeah. um, sort of dial down the volatility a bit. You know, so, I mean, you can get by perfectly well with one pension, one ISA. You know, you can put anything up to 40, uh, 60 grand a year between those two accounts. Most people don't save 60 grand a year, right? So most people don't need complexity like VCTs. They don't need trusts. They don't need all that stuff. Um, life insurance is easy to get now. You know, you can pick up the phone to life search or you can even money supermarket it. Yeah. So there's so much stuff you can do yourself now, which is the, one of the joys and wonders of the internet. Financial advice is about helping you navigate, asking somebody else to do it for you. Yeah. And I think most people can really benefit from good financial advice as they approach retirement. Yeah. Because it's such a massive transition. We don't really understand until we get there, right? But we mostly define ourselves by what we do. And so suddenly, if you're not doing that anymore, that's a massive psychological transition. At the same time, suddenly there's not an income coming in. And instead, you've got this finite pot of wealth that you've built up over a 40-year career or a 30-year career, and you've got to make it last for the rest of your life. You don't want to leave too much money on the table. There's no point dying rich. You want to enjoy it early. And so there's a ton of variables there and it requires planning. And very often people just develop complexity in their financial affairs as they go through life. So they end up with half a dozen different pension pots and they don't really know what it all adds up to. Maybe they've worked for a big employer or the public sector and they've got a DB scheme. There's a, as you approach retirement, there's potentially a lot of decisions to be made and you don't really want to get them wrong. And so people pay me <laughs> so that if I get it wrong, they can sue me, right? Because one thing I've learned through 10 years of doing what I do on the podcast is that people can self-educate and do, and to the nth degree, but actually pushing the button and making a decision for their own financial future is a massive deal. Mm. Whereas sometimes paying somebody else to do it for you or give you the nudge, which is what an advisor should do, uh, is worth every penny. And so... I mean, I would never charge somebody three grand for a financial plan if they're 30 years old and they're just starting to, to take out an ISA and a pension. It's like, God's mm -hmm. sake, you know, that I'd just go Argus Lansdowne or Vanguard or something and just find a platform, choose a fund, you'll be fine. And there's tons of stuff on the podcast to help them do that. Yeah. Um, but financial advice is really for complexity. The system is complex and people build complex in, complexity into their own affairs. So my job is to basically unravel that and make it simple um, so that we can concentrate on what's really important. So yeah, there's no, a place for both. The way, the way I think about it, you mentioned like a driving lesson. I, I use the analogy of a car. So it's a bit like if you want to get, a, if you want to show, if you want to get a financial advisor, it's a bit like getting a chauffeur. They're going to do it for you. They're going to drive you to where you want to get to. Yeah. Whereas I'm, I'm a money coach. I see a kind of a benefit of being, giving people education and accountability yeah. and a, a lesson about understanding how to, how to invest. So I think of it more like a driving lesson. So, sitting next to them teaching them how to drive there they're gonna actually yeah, like turn the engine on and actually getting to where they want to have and because it can be quite scary looking under it's a bit like looking under the bonnet of a car it is complex like all those kind of machinery it's a bit mm -hmm. like if you look if you look in a kind of some of these products that you we you mentioned bonds if you look at kind of equities all these things around the world it can be quite complex where you're kind of investing and it's a bit like looking under the car the, the bonnet of a car so i, I see financial or money coach essentially sitting next to them giving them the ideal drive them to freedom with the wind in their hair etc so that's kind of the way i think of it 
Mm, yeah, no, so that's a brilliant analogy. I'm really excited about the rise of the financial coach, which is a relatively recent phenomenon. Yeah. You know, five years ago, there was, I could probably count on one hand, the, yeah. the number of financial coaches that I knew of, and you know, I knew most of them, I think. Whereas now there's a real rise in that. And I think that's great because for folks who don't need to pay for full regulated financial advice, yeah, it, it's the perfect solution. But want, to, you know, but want some help, it's the perfect solution. So I'm really excited by it. I think it's a great thing. A lot of people in my industry are not. They're really threatened by it. And that, you know, somehow these people are not really qualified and all that sort of stuff. And I just think, well, that's just insecurity on the part of the advisors, really. So I'm really excited by the rise of the financial coach. I think it's an unequivocally good thing. Yeah, I think there's definitely a, a massive need for yep. people managing money. I think there's a number of regulation changes, well, pension freedoms in 2015, the mm-hmm. auto enrollment, and uh, you know all about this. But yeah, I'm saying for the listener, essentially, there's more need for people managing their money. And yep. Yeah, essentially, it's moved from the government or moved from the company looking after your money to, to you, the individual. So yeah. that's why, essentially, I see there's a big kind of growth in money coaching. But mm-hmm. I'm mindful of your time. I'm um, yeah, so great to chat. Maybe just before you go, maybe just um, we talked loads about books. So I, you've given a wealth of books. If you want to mention another book, even your, your own book, uh, <laughs> Meaningful Money. And a great quote or something funny has happened recently. And yeah. can you just tell us just. Yeah, briefly say or talk more about where they can find you, Meaningful Money Podcast, your, your website, okay. if anything else. All right. So this, uh, I'll give you my favorite, my all-time favorite quote. All right. I'll give you that first. It's by Eleanor Roosevelt. Okay. And it's, it's one of those things that continually comes to mind whenever I listen to myself talk. Okay. And the quote is as follows. She said, great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events small minds discuss people okay interesting great minds discuss ideas average minds discuss events and small minds discuss people so if you find yourself talking about other people all the time so and so did this so and so did that have you seen their new car all that sort of stuff that's a sign of a tiny mind yeah right even events we all by definition talk about events what's going on and things like that that's that's fairly normal if you want to be a great mind then spend your time thinking, reading, talking about ideas, right? So read books, watch TED Talks, all this stuff. Develop yourself as a human um, and then be a great mind, be the best version of yourself. So I, I continually bring that to mind. I love that quote. If you want to find out about more about what I'm up to, meanwhile, just search Meaningful Money, search Pete Matthew, no S on the end of my surname. Yeah, people do that all the time. But uh, meaningfulmoney.tv is the home of what I do, but you can find me on all the socials. Uh, search for me in your podcast catcher of choice or uh, over at YouTube doing uh, lots of good stuff over there now. So been great to chat with you, Neil. Thanks for having me. It's been amazing. Thanks so much, Pete. That's been, yeah, incredible. So yeah, thanks. You gave a amount of wisdom. It's uh, yeah, great. So yeah, I, as I said, a big fan of your work, really great podcast. And yeah, uh, I would say the Socrates of finance, UK financial <laughs> uh, in, personal finance in the UK. So um, Socrates, I'll take that, man. Thank you very much. <laughs> But uh, no, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, this has been Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruit, you need the roots. Please like, please subscribe, and please tell a friend about this show. Thanks again. Cheers. Cheers. This has been Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruits, you need the roots. This has been the final interview of the season four of the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. This season has been packed full with guests, giving away huge amounts of values. This book was where it all started. So I started this podcast 
to help talk about and share my story about Millennial Money Mindset. It's a book about wealth, death and happiness and it also about how we humans have lost our connection with nature. It aims to put money into your pocket, reduce your stress and worry around money and get more time back in your day. It's available on Amazon in print, audible or Kindle version. So get your copy today. Money Mindset I think that sounds alright.